Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast. On this episode, we are delighted to have the opportunity to speak to Al Simonite, who is the managing director of the Advanced Consultancy. We've got a brief bio on Al before we head straight into Al's career uh, and also on his current role, helping businesses and, and projects achieve success. As always, I'm Dale Fung and I'm joined by my co-host, Val Matthews. Hi, everybody. Um, and straight into it. Uh, so a little bit about Al. Al is an experienced leader with a proven track record in delivering complex programs and change initiatives across significant value in the multifunctional and dynamic environment in both the public sector and in a FTSE 100 global company. Able to sim- simplify complex issues and identify clear value drivers, he's a skilled and highly confident presenter, communicator, and facilitator, experienced in managing diverse, culturally and geographically stakeholders, and motivating teams to deliver best value. Significant experience in safety critical and quality management environments, a pragmatic and decisive individual who thrives on challenge and change and demonstrates innovation and vision. Always on the lookout for new ideas and fresh thinking. Welcome to the show, Al. Thank you very much. I hesitate to say that actually sounds like me, but uh, I think I might have written those words or something like them some point in the distant past. They sound like fantastic words, and uh, hopefully we can get some words of wisdom and some 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 value to the to the listeners. Um, so I'm going to jump straight into it, and oh. uh, I'd love to start right at the beginning, and maybe we could start. Um, where did you start your career, and and perhaps maybe we could start with the Royal Air Force, mm. uh, as I know you you're a, you're a military man originally. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. So. Um, and 20 years served effectively in the Royal Air Force as an engineer officer, came out in 2009, um, so just over 10 years ago, uh, went through university engineering, uh, went through training, uh, went into aircraft engineering in the Air Force, did a number of different roles um, mm. on and off aircraft. But um, I, I guess the thread that, 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 that goes through all of that and probably continues through most of my career into project management is the, is the idea of leadership and teams and how that you know, impacts on, on the why I do now and the way I think. So the concept yeah. of leadership and military leadership and, and uh, how that applies is something that's always been strong with me. Um, so how's that, how's, that, how's that different now? Uh, military leadership to, I think, you know, if you draw comparisons with like civilian leadership, where do you think the strengths lie? I don't think it's necessarily about strengths. I think it's just awareness. Um, I think mm. the concept of leadership as a skill Uh, in its own right is something that's very strong um, in in the military at all levels regardless of service and there are very different styles of that but the fact that I was trained first to be an officer and a leader and second to be an engineer I think is something that for me I've learned a lot from and I don't think that civilian industry certainly sectors that that we tend to operate in really recognize the skill of leadership in its own right Uh, it tends to become a secondary aspect Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I, I think I'd agree with that. Um, I've got a, as, as a few of the listeners know, and, and you guys know as well, I've got a bit of experience in projects in, in the defense industry and some of the best project managers and leaders I've worked with were, were ex forces as well. Um, and I'll never forget um, a saying from one of the, uh, an ex um, uh, uh, captain in the Navy and uh he said um you know in terms of direction the company was at a crossroads and he said uh so rather make a decision even if it's the wrong decision at least you're not standing still and i really admired that early on in my career so it resonates you know what you're saying about that mm-hmm. but i guess one of the questions that um popped into my mind when you're talking about you know you started off in, in the forces and you moved across um 
was moving roles easy? I mean, you say, you know, leadership was easy, but in terms of moving from sort of the forces to a more professional career, was that an easy transition? Um, what sort of skills did you yeah. have to move? To move? Uh, it was for me, um, and I don't under underestimate the difficulty transition for a lot of people, but I was very lucky. Um, I spent the last three years of my military career being a program manager. Oh, wow. uh, I moved into that in, in, in my final, final tour. Um, working on big complex equipment upgrade programs. So I was a, effectively a client program manager uh, with a team uh, doing that uh, across a, a big portfolio of different projects at different phases of the life cycle. Um, so I'd, I'd learned that skill or began, begun to learn that skill and that, that capability and uh, realized it was something I wanted to carry on. So when I left and transitioned, I went and joined the company that was the main contractor for the project that I'd been running uh, on the MOD side, not unusually, um, and then became a program manager on the industry side. So that that element of the transition was relatively straightforward. But even then, even though I'd, I'd moved 20 feet in the same office and took a uniform off and put a suit on, there were still lots of aspects of commercial life that I perhaps hadn't uh, been used to that took a time to adjust to. And what aspects of are, are those, if if we can sort of delve into it? A little yeah, bit? no, I mean it's 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 the different approach to to commercial life, I guess. The finances, the the need to make margin and profit, and to deliver, you know, value mm -hmm. and all the rest of it that that a, you know, a a shareholder business has to deal with that uh, weren't necessarily the same drivers when you look at it from a military uh, delivering capability perspective. Um, and I just pick up on your comment about the uh, you know the, the navy captain you mentioned. Um, I, I think the, the favourite phrase that I've picked up that's very similar for that is uh, a lack of a decision is a de decision in itself and it's usually a bad one. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of being decisive and actually being able to make decisions, I think that is a particularly important skill of leadership that uh, yeah, is very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one, one of the other things before we kind of jump into, I guess, your you know, what, what you're currently doing. Mm -hmm. um, just, uh, you know, we, it's, it's, it's quite brief that we can go over your career, but I think, you know, you've got a lot on LinkedIn, people on LinkedIn with you, and um, there's quite a bit um, on the advanced consultancy um, website mm -hmm. that people can go and contact you and ask various yep. questions. Um, yep. Do you have any advice to others that might be listening um, based on your current experience on, you know, um, career choices thus far, how to make them, um, whether to go into consultancy, whether to uh, become a subject matter expert technically, uh, or, or, or how to identify if they will naturally be good at leadership, because that's obviously the key area that you're focusing on. Um, I know that's quite a broad question, mm. um, but I wonder if you can indulge us a little bit about your insight into that, into how you define yeah, well, I, I can certainly give you a bit of advice that I was given uh, fairly early on in my military career, which is always lasted and, and resonated with me which is never do the job you think you should do always do the job you want to do uh, that doesn't necessarily answer your question directly but I think it's a very important perspective which is um, everyone thinks they have a career path to some goal in the future and they, they you know, sometimes there's a, a laid out way of, of going down that path the, the danger of course is that you you head off that path you don't enjoy the journey and you never get to the destination whereas each step of the journey you've got a left or right fork you take the one that you think you're going to enjoy and then a you've got a chance of, of doing well at it because it's something you enjoy and, and you'll enjoy it um i think that's that's probably the, the best and most useful bit of career advice i've ever been given um yeah. in terms of the, the question about you know what, what are those choices to, to make along the way um I, I i won't say i fell into consultancy towards the end of my career but it's certainly not a not, not something I would have considered doing earlier on. Um, but there's a combination of, of drivers to, to what I do now, which is not just the, the ability to, to help organizations, but to operate in a, in a very small you know, company environment as well. And that's a big change from being in the big corporates and the big organizations. And, and that brings its own challenges. But for me at this point in time, it's a, it's a refreshing change. So um, I think that's, yeah, just just look at each each opportunity in turn, and and don't think too hard about them. To be honest. Yeah, I think um, you know, particularly Al, for those for those people in the corporate in, in lifestyle, and you know, these big companies, it can be difficult to be heard and um and and aspire to any level of 
of um, positional role that you're, you want, especially when you found your career early on. I mean, a lot of young people these days, at least from my perspective, actually know what they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's corporate environments that are not allowing them to get there or, or the roles don't allow for them to kind of um, blossom, if you like. There's a lot of change and transition in this digital environment. Um, maybe you can share some of your experience in the corporate world on kind of climb the corporate ladder in a, in a career that they, they like. Is, is there an easy way? I know it's a hard but question no, to answer. I, I, don't think, I don't think there is an easy way, to be honest. I think um, I think people these days tend to never, well, I want to go and do this. It was it was the kind of organisation I wanted to work in, you know, how it felt, what the culture was like, how um, the people were respected and treated and, and how the leadership you know, dealt with that. I think those were much more important aspects for me um, than actually what the job was. And it could have been anything from, program management, change management, transformation management, operational leadership, you know, any, any one of those aspects I, I, I could have happily picked up and done, um, but it was more about the environment. So one of the interesting things is, is, you know, especially in, in my career as well, to, to determine the environment, I've, I've always looked at and selecting my manager um, as one of the facets of that, that environment. Um, and how do you go about kind of selecting that environment in the company and how would you select the company uh, to work for? Um, it's a difficult question to answer because I've had very few opportunities to do it in that in that way. Perhaps only the, the one I'm in now, actually. Um, know that you don't get a choice um, when you you uh, move jobs in a in a large company. You don't always get the choice either. Um, but I think the, uh, yeah, the the environment issue I think is absolutely the, the, still the key one. So if I take the example of uh, of how I started in advance. Um, I met the guy who uh, is our company chairman um, just before I left a previous job. And uh, uh, when I had the opportunity to to con- contact him, it was very much around the fact that, that when we met, he'd presented uh, an organization and a culture um, and an approach to doing what he did that felt very resonant with my values. Um, and that was the first point of contact, really. That was the first conversation that we had. Um, before we even then talked about what the company actually did and how it did it. So, um, and that resulted in you know, me being offered the job and, and being where I am now. So, um, mm-hmm. and really taking that forward as a, as a set of values and ethos um, for an organization, for a, set, for a set of people that work together. I think that is, that is important. And if you do have the luxury of picking your manager, then great. Um, uh, and hopefully you, you, you get to pick the right one. Uh, yeah. Not not always true, of course, but uh, not always possible. But so maybe the you, yeah maybe the better word then was was culture because you you've mentioned yeah. that a few times and how how important is that to a program um to program success or business culture success? It, it's critical, but it's very intangible. And I think mm. this is where the, the the difficult question becomes around leadership and culture and ethos is how do you measure them? And, uh, a lot of organisations spend a lot of time trying to measure things. Um, and, and work on you know, managing what they can measure. And that's a great phrase and it is very important, but there's, a, there's an enabling framework to success that is, is fundamentally driven by how the organization thinks, feels and behaves, which I would call ethos or culture, that, it, mm. that is fundamentally intangible. But if I just touch on some of the stuff that, that we work on in advance, so we do a lot of work with uh, multi-organizational projects, uh, joint ventures, alliances, and client contract organizations the ability for people from different organizational and cultural backgrounds to, to work together um, is a real enabler to success in any complex environment be it a project or otherwise so alignment of, of how you behave alignment of objectives um, alignment of thinking approaches whilst maintaining difference i think is really critical so we do a lot of work, for example, around uh, understanding how different cognitive styles work together um, and, and the need for different cognitive styles to generate innovation and difference and thinking. Um, but actually within that framework, there still has to be a commonality of, of goal and approach and style to the organization. Um, yeah, I, I think those, are, those things are important. Behaviors are quite an interesting topic, though because mm. um, they vary, they're complex, people are complex, we've spoken about yeah. in, on previous episodes. How do you, say, say you go into an organization and they, you know, uh, quite a um, 
what's the word to put it? The, the behaviors aren't very desirable to openness and, and transparency. How do you then go in and, and try and gauge that? Because if you potentially an employee in that organization, you might be a bit apprehensive to be forthcoming with your open, honest, transparent views on things. Mm, so, yes. so measuring the culture, um, it becomes a bit more difficult from my, my perspective. Um, yeah. Are there ways to sort of tease that out to, to identify um, issues like yeah, that? Yeah, there are. I think it's, you know, you're into the qualitative assessment rather than the quantitative assessment there. Um, and there are you know, the ways of, of doing that. And there are you know, techniques that we use around diagnosis that, that we can you know, get some data around that. Um, but I think one of the, the most useful things that, that people can do in that environment is understand what their own uh, behavioral approach is and um you know, we, we do we use a number of techniques for that there's lots of techniques out there you know we've all done myers-briggs we've done belbin we've done anything like that and it frankly doesn't matter which which one you use um we, we've got a couple that we use because we like them but actually by being able to understand how your own behaviors are driven by your own uh, background and style and how those those work into relation with other people i think that then starts to move the conversation from become be quite an emotional conversation around you know i don't get on with you i don't like you into the fact that actually we might not be gelling because of our styles are different and then you can start to then understand and then deal with it uh, in a much more productive way okay that's interesting and then if 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 i may if i if yeah. i might bridge that over how does that tr then translate into how does that all, all of that the behavior organization culture leadership yeah translate into project delivery and you know if, if, if we might focus on that a little bit and go well can yeah. you apply some of the principles there to make projects more successful in their delivery um, in terms of how they manage in terms of the communication um, what what are the parallels there that we can draw yeah I think um, certainly when you're, you're operating the complex space and I think there are very few uh, complex projects that are not in some shape or form have an element of program to them uh, either level of uncertainty and complexity that that would you know in, in a sort of dictionary definition make them more more program like than project like i think the point about openness and behaviors there is it allows that understanding to be shared um and actually there's a there's a um a core model that we talk about so uh, if you think of uh, system structures and cultures so systems being the operating processes and the systems so the IT systems of an organizational project structures is about the hierarchies responsibilities and, and the boundaries and then cultures and behaviors is is what it says you, you've got to manage and deal with all three of those coherently to drive implementation or delivery uh, and you know organizations generally are good at probably two out of three of those you know picking yeah. any two from three um, but the organizations that really drive high performance, are the ones that they're able to think about and tackle all three of those consistently and coherently. I'm glad you brought up a triangle because Val well, loves triangles. every model we have is a triangle. Val loves triangles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it's shapes good. and my favorite shape is the triangle. That's it. It's, it's, it's always easy to talk about three points of, uh, of contact. So, um, yeah, it's always stable as well. The, the other triangle I'll mention as well, because it relates back to the behaviors conversation is, uh, is what we call authenticity. I can never say this. So apologies, authenticity, consistency, and congruence. Um, yeah, that is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Yeah. It's much easier on a, on a picture. Um, so authentic behaviors, um, we work with so many teams and I've, I've been in so many teams where you know, behaviors can be authentic or can they can be unauthentic and it's so obvious when that's not true um, and don't try to be something you're not and again mm. particularly when organizations are working together and you're bringing different organizations together there is a richness in those different approaches and, and don't 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 deny that and then consistency is about being that over time as well so um and going back to, to Val's point about managers, you know, one of the one of the sort of the, the checkpoints that I would suggest people look for is how consistent are the people that they're working with and for over time. Um, do they display yeah. the right behaviours one day but not the next, mm -hmm. one week and not the next? And if they are consistent over time, then that's that, that's good. At least you know what you're dealing with. And then the third third corner of that triangle is the congruence piece, which is um, 
the organization hierarchies guys aren't behaving in the same kind of style and way then that is a is a red flag as well yeah and we've seen that on big projects and small projects alike where um you know the the office politics uh gets in the way of of, of um trust and, and trust is obviously that glue between that, those three points of the triangle i really like that that point that you put across al um and I guess it leads into, you know, a really passionate subject that we're all across, um, particularly in project delivery, which is, is, is there a recipe or are there, what are the, the ingredients for a good leader? What makes a good leader uh, in, in your mind? Um, is it something that can be trained or is it learned uh, innately? Uh, what's your view on that? I think it's a bit of both. I definitely believe you can train elements of the skill of leadership. Um, you know, I, I was trained to be a leader. Um, right or wrong, uh, very much in, in the early days of my military career. Um, I think there's an element of, of innate, innate style that, that is who we are. Um, and I think we align to a, to a number of different leadership styles. Um, I quite like Daniel Goldman's six leadership styles um, as a model, um, particularly the visionary style, which I think is the, you know, the come with me style, which I think is, is the one that I think tends to work I, I feel tends to work best in creating the right environment. Yep. Um, but uh, there are there are definitely skills and capabilities that can be learned. Um, but I think you have to have the innate desire to, to want to do that uh, in the right environment. So combination of nature and nurture, I guess. Did you, did you see anything specific, uh, a specific example of where you say was, were with someone um, training with them and you thought that guy will never be a leader and he surprised you something specific for those out there that go i'm not naturally inclined to be a leader it doesn't interest me um what value can i add all that kind of a thing um is there anything that exists like that or is it actually there are some people born leaders and some aren't um i think there are a lot of people who think they're born leaders um but i, I i'm actually very open-minded about this i think everyone has the capability to lead it's doing so in the way that's again using that word again authentic to who they are. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, engineering, you know, work in many many engineering organisations, you know, now and previously, um, and, and there's, a, there's a very definite style that comes with people who are engineers by background, and I, I am one, um, which which doesn't necessarily gel with the sort of the classic um, lead from the front style of leadership. But that doesn't mean that those people can't be good leaders. Um, what I think we, we tend to fail on is assuming good technical people make good leaders and managers without any further thought about it. And going back to Val's point about nature versus nurture, I think there's definitely a point there when, when you hit that point in your career, when you transition from technical to managerial and leadership, that you do have to then go through a process of learning. I won't say yeah. training, say learning intentionally. Um, and I think we fail a lot of our, uh, emerging leaders uh, who've gone through the technical route because we don't go through that learning process with them. Are there any, um, you know, we, we love to focus on some of the lessons you can learn from the don'ts because you have do's and don'ts on the show. Are there any um, specific examples without uh, incriminating yourself or dropping anyone's name in the, in, in, <laughs> in the shirts um, that you can think of or, or classical behaviors that you should avoid if you want to be a leader? Um, yeah don't uh don't um don't ignore those around you um and don't assume you know more than they do mm. uh, probably the two most obvious ones that spring to mind off the top of my head um i can't remember who said it uh, i think it's attributed to steve jobs um you know aim is to recruit people who are better and cleverer than me or words to that effect um I think the other thing that when it comes to leadership there, the, the phrase of leadership by vulnerability, I think is, is a really critical one that I, I personally feel passionately about is we don't all have all the skills. I, I know what, what I believe my strengths are and I also know to some extent what my weaknesses are. So uh, if I'm working in a team environment, I'm looking to people who can fill those gaps in my weaknesses and do that, that stuff better than I can yeah. and then work with them.
And, and just an observation on my side, Al, around um, high-performing teams. We, we hear this a lot. Um, and I was, I was on a Q&A forum a couple of weeks ago and they, it was a bit of a buzzword. And so, you know, my, my first question is probably, what's, what's your definition of a high-performing team? And secondly, it's probably a bit of a scenario where um, maybe you're or, or an organization that has a low-performing team. How do you deal with that and turning them around? Uh, I'd love to hear your insights or tips. Mm. Um, I guess the answer to the first bit of the question is, is it may be slightly controversial. I, I'm not so sure there is such a thing as a high-performing team. Um, I happen to agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think any. I think it, it comes back to the self-awareness thing. Is you know what is mm. it that you can help individuals see and show them in terms of the way that they're operating um, that allows them to take that journey themselves and then guide them along that journey. So as a, you know, as a consultancy, that, that that's our job anyway. We're not there to to deliver ultimately the projects or the programs or, or the organisations. We're there to help facilitate and, and catalyse and and guide those individuals and those teams and, and coach and mentor along along that journey. Um, so I think the the understanding of how uh, low performing teams can can change, it's it's got to start with a, a self awareness and a self reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I happen to agree with those sentiments. It's, um, it, it's a difficult conversation, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, that a lot of the stuff around what we talk about is intangible and, mm. and thus some of the challenges we get put on, um, particularly by, by executives is, is they want to return, right? You want, you're mm. putting all this emphasis on, um, on leadership and, um, and those emergent leaders, we talked about those, those technically orientated, um, is 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 there a silver bullet to education or training for emerging leaders? I mean, how do we get these? Because obviously, these technical guys—they've obviously got some talent, yeah. guys and girls—and and 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 getting them into a position where at least they're capable um, and they have all those facets along that triangle that 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 at least allows them to practice the skill. Because um, obviously, a skill it, it takes time, doesn't it? And, and repetition. But, but yeah. is there is there a way to do that? Easily. I think there's again, there's, yeah, there is, there is to some extent, and I think it's back to environment. I think there's the ability to create an environment of psychological safety for developing leaders to allow people to make mistakes, um, mm. to allow people to try different ways of working. Um, I, I think you can train management, um, but I think you have to learn leadership, um, and, and learning is is in this case very much more around learning through experience and doing. Uh, rather than you know sitting and reading a book or, or being on a course, um, so it, it, it requires um, the environment to be created around you and above you. So you know, back to your point about managers and leaders above you, uh, the the right um, empowerment and the right environment to allow you to go and try things um, and, and learn to develop your own style. I think is is perhaps the best best place I can sort of answer that best way I can answer that question. You, you, you talk about learning and, you know, so where do you, um, we love to ask this question because we love um, where people get, get the inspiration from. Where do yeah. you get yours from? Do you, is it, you know, perhaps this podcast only that you listen to and you grab all your inspiration from it <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> or the, the books out there that you'd recommend or the other podcasts are there, I don't know, or, or where, where do you get it from? Is it is chatting to other leaders in the industry? Yeah. All, all of the above, I think. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from my colleagues. Um, I'm very lucky to be part of a network now, which is um, you know, built up from people uh, all vastly experienced, but vastly experienced in very different things. So part of our, our, our wider team, we have, we have trainers, we have behavioral psychologists, we have behavioralists, we have program managers, we have business development guys. Um, and actually, you know, just amongst our, our core team, we have a really you know, thirst for, for the knowledge, insight and sharing that. So um, one of my favorite, I mentioned Goldman already, Daniel Goldman. Uh, my other favorite person to, to go to for reference and inspiration is Simon Sinek. Um, yep. And his concept of, of find and start with why and find your why. Um, and I, I quite often use that and, and use some of his, uh, his find your why videos in some of our, some of our workshops. So I always find that that's kind of a place to go is very, very inspirational, but there's a, there's some really good stuff on Harvard business review. Um, but I, I think there's, there's one specific source. I think it's just being aware of what's out there and reading stuff. That even if you don't agree with it, it gives you the ability to think about it and, and challenge your own thinking. 
so I don't think there's there's a source of, of this is all the right answers and I'm going to go and read that or go and go and watch that I think it's, it's about being able to challenge yourself and challenge your own thinking as well yeah we spoke about previous on previous podcasts about how you learn through debate about constructive mm. debating and um yeah, I, I, I like that. I mean, in, in your bio, we spoke about how you, you thrive on challenge and change, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite, a, that's quite a significant statement because a lot of people try and veer away from challenge and change. Mm. People, don't, people like their comfort zone. Um, but I think what Val said earlier is I think um, as well as the sort of the, the next generation knowing what they want to do um, far more than, than I guess I did, um, in my generation, um, growing up, they also, um, I think they're more open to challenge and change than mm. I guess the, the previous generations. Um, so I guess my question is on, on challenge and change, is there a certain way you should challenge and change and look for it and, and, uh, or, or just, just go about your business, challenging everything and, you know, uh, just embracing all sorts of change. Um, because the old saying is change is good as a holiday and challenge is great. But what are some of the insights you could give those that are going, mm, I'm not sure how to challenge. I'm not sure how to mm. go about changing things. Uh, or this yeah. like sort of, is there another triangle <laughs> that people can follow? Oh, yeah, no, I wish there was. Um, I just, I mean, just something you said about the, the next generation. I think the other thing about the next generation that I've seen as well is they are, they are more challenging of the environment around them as well. And I think the, the things that they're looking for, um, that that sort of that new generation coming to the workforce now and starting to mature in the workforce is is really quite specific about what it's looking for and it's it's not just about the profitability and the money it's about the environment and uh, as in the work environment also sustainability and, and carbon friendliness and those things and i think that that is and needs to you know rightly so drive away uh, the way organizations think um but to answer your other question about you know how, how to challenge and how to how to drive change everyone's different and some people have a, a real thirst for, for challenge. And, and I, I guess I put myself in that category and that probably goes back to, uh, you know, being in sixth form at school and being in the debating society and, and being the one that would always step up and challenge the, against the, and, and debate against the argument if no one else turned up, even if I didn't agree with it. So, um, but, but, but you put yourself in the other person's shoes um, and, and see that perspective and, and then see where they're coming from, I think is also quite healthy. Uh, which perhaps leads me to perhaps my one joke of the podcast, which is, you know, if you're going to challenge someone, always walk a mile in their shoes, because when you challenge them, you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. Um, <laughs> uh, um, how, how do people challenge? I think uh, constructively, clearly. Um, and I think that that can be quite difficult to work out the, the right temperature to do that. At. Um, and again, it depends on, on the environment around you. There are certain, you know, environments and cultures where, yeah, challenge is not welcome, um, unfortunately. Um, and again, that's back to leadership. Uh, the leaders should be able to create an open environment where not only their own decisions and their own uh, capabilities challenge, but they would welcome that and see that as a positive thing. Um, uh, we're not there in a lot, lot of places and I hope, I hope people that come through the system and, and start to see the value in constructive leadership will, will start to sort of build that momentum. Yeah, I agree. Certainly so with the question uh, directly, but uh, perhaps the best I can do. No, no, it's a great, it's a great response. And uh, I think organizations like yours that are trying to, um, you know, also help with that, with that element of the, the, the soft skills and the development, the psychology and the behavioral elements of it, um, and I think we, if we danced around the subject of emotional intelligence, but we kind yeah. of haven't called it out and perhaps we could, we could spend a bit of time on, um, on sharing our views on what emotional intelligence is and particularly your point of view, um, and how important that is probably to the leadership triangle or even just business culture in general. Um, yeah. have you experienced a lot of it or is it, is it something as well that is experienced and learned as part of your leadership journey and finding out who you are? Uh, I think I think it's it, again it's a bit of all of that. Um, emotional intelligence is um, I, I, perhaps I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's got it starts with self awareness. I don't think you can be emotionally intelligent with other people unless you understand where you're you're coming from yourself. Um, mm -hmm. uh, empathy is is perhaps the overused word in this in this sphere, but just being able to see and understand you know different perspectives. Um, active listening is a great skill in that in that space and I don't think we do enough of that either uh, you know, we, we do a lot around um, when we do you know team sessions whether the team development or whatever around just 
making the people in the room just sit and listen to their colleagues. No, no interruptions. You can't challenge. You just got to sit and listen for two or five minutes to that person talking about whatever it is they want to talk about. And you know that that time and space to just understand what's happening around you, I think, is is a real um, part of that emotional intelligence, that that empathy. Um, but I think it's also really important to, if you are in a, in a decision-making position in a project, in a program, in an organisation, you know, in a leadership role, to be really clear about what your perspectives and goals and, and requirements are and expectations are, both of yourself and, and, and your team. So you know, how can you expect people to you know, follow you if you don't tell them how you want to lead them and what, and what, you, what you expect from them? And then it becomes a two-way contract. Yeah, completely agree. Um, it's it's an interesting subject that uh, well, a lot of people might not know exactly what emotional intelligence means. And you mentioned Simon Sinek, and he's got a great book because um, I also follow him um, called Leaders Eat Last, where he touches on that subject quite a bit. I would say it's on my shelf, but uh, I've lent it to someone. I've got Find Your Way on the shelf in front of me here. Look, you can... Oh, there you are. Look, you weren't lying. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the authenticity piece. Um, and, and obviously, you know, we, we talked about whether good and bad, uh, or high and low performing teams actually exist in the, in, the, in its first place. And you talk about sharpening the saw and continuous improvement and that self-awareness piece, but is there a, is there a technique that you use or have used in the past around recruiting the right people or, or the right people for the role? Yeah. Um, when we when we so in in the job I'm in now in the organisation I'm in now we, we get asked a lot about you know is there a profile that we should recruit to and um, is there a particular you know, technique or psychometric we should use to to assess people for recruitment and uh, I must admit always shy away from answering that question directly because the answer is inevitably it depends um, the fit has to be right so we talk about suitability and eligibility for organizations and teams and um, eligibility is the technical piece so are you are you competent do you got the experience have you uh, got the right in technical qualifications and those can all be trained and learned but suitability is the behavioral piece the cultural piece the fit and um, there's no there's no right or wrong answer to what profile line you draw on a particular chart to say that that's a fit or not you have to you have to feel it um, and I think that's, you know, when it comes to recruitment, there is, is no substitute for that, that conversation uh, and understanding uh, what, what that, that feels like in terms of that relationship that you're starting to develop with that person. Um, some people find that easy um, and, and, and can form that view very quickly. Other people need a lot more evidence to build that relationship. And, and again, that's why we're all different. So um, I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. And I don't think there should be. No. No, and I'm probably glad there isn't because uh, obviously these days there's a lot of talk around inclusivity, um, equality, um, and encouraging you know both sexes and genders to apply for all sorts of roles at all levels. So if you if you do profile too much or make it too robotic, you, you tend to lose out in some of those aptitudes and those those soft skills as well, which are hard to demonstrate on hard paper. Yeah. Um, just just my another just, another. Come yeah. back on that though. I think the one thing I would say is you know from a personal perspective. I'd always actively look to seek people out who are different to me um, because I, I guess it goes back to your point about liking the challenge um, you know the, the different way of thinking you know that, that comes from from you know different backgrounds be they genders or otherwise you know that, that bit frankly doesn't matter it's the difference of thought that counts um, and, I, and I, I really enjoy having you know a group of people that I'm working with and around either in the projects that we go and work in or in the, in the team I'm working with who have the ability to just look at life at a slightly different angle to me. Um, and I find that fascinating and enjoyable. That, that is certainly yeah. fascinating. I mean, we, we, we again, you, you, you just speaking to, to, you know, what, what we love to hear on here, that diversity and, and um, that challenge. And we, we, we've spoken quite a lot about the soft skills, the leadership, behavioral culture, all that kind of thing. Mm. I want to um, try and dig a little bit deeper here um, and perhaps be a little bit provocative, maybe not, but I mean, without giving away too many commercial aspects. Um, no, this is a good one. This is a positive one. Um, cool. do, you have any, <laughs> do you have any specific examples of where you've come in, applied everything you've just spoken about on a project and 
could you then give us what the project was like before and what happened as a result of what you did afterwards? Um, yeah, I, I guess the closest I could get to um, is um, there was a particular organizational team that we worked with where um, the relationships were poor. Um, th there wasn't that, that real visionary or empathetic leadership um, you know, being, being driven into the organization. Um, there were a couple of changes. Uh, someone came into the team that, that happened to um, you know, know us, asked us to come in and support them. And we've, we, in fact, we're still working with that team now um, uh, a number of years later. Um, and I'm being deliberately vague for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, the transformation of the team, uh, and I, you know, I, we, we clearly have some, some credit to play in that, but I think it's much around the, the change in leadership in the team itself. It is quite is quite remarkable now because there's a there's a culture of, of openness, a culture of trust, and a culture of respect um, that wasn't there before. Now all we did, and I say all, um, was facilitate the conversation and gave them the information and the means to to understand the journey that they needed to go on, and then and then pushed them along that journey. Um, you know, I know we are a consultancy, but I, I, I like to think that we're a consultancy that, that is not afraid to push when necessary. Um, that's why our sort of sub-values and our respect, challenge and grow, uh, or respect, challenge and deliver, because the challenge piece, we do like to say it how we see it as well uh, in teams and with individuals and organisations. Um, so I'd like to think that some of the, the challenge we provided uh, both to the, to the leaders and to the team helped them along that journey. But it, it was a, a journey of self-discovery that we facilitated as much as anything. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah, as you say, for obvious reasons, you can't share too many details on that. Um, but that doesn't stop us from trying to ask you, you more uh, searching questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll um, try. We'll, we'll, we'll keep trying and you'll keep uh, putting up that forward defensive um, as well as you can. <laughs> <laughs> but um, is very much part of our uh, our operating model <laughs> <laughs> of course of course <laughs> no, absolutely appreciate it uh, as much transparency as you can give but one mm. of the other things i wanted to um sort of just try and um dig into you know you mentioned your consultancy um and and a slightly different spin from what we've been discussing i had a couple of questions around consultancies and things like mm. that um and, you know, I, I've kind of labeled the section a little bit of around secrets for success. Uh -huh. Some of the questions that come to mind is, you know, like, how do you generate business leads? How do you outperform your, your competitors? How do you stay relevant to the market out mm -hmm. there? Yeah. Are, are those some of the things you can kind of share? I, I can give you a view on, certainly. Uh, I, we're very uh, personal uh, and parochial perspective from Alcim and I and from advanced consultancy because, um, yeah. Uh, the, the answer is how do we outperform our competitors uh, being brutally honest we don't even try um, we do what we do and we present ourselves in the way that we believe is authentic to to what we can add value in and um, you know fortunately people buy that um, and, and actually come keep coming back to buy it and okay so the answer to your first question is how do we engage in business development is yeah you know, we, we don't do any marketing um, we we work through our network and, and I, I use the, you know, the point about discretion and, and kind of modesty as well I think is also a really important part of our our sort of um, I'm going to sound very consultancy when I say value proposition but I think that that is really important to, to all of us in the business so mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've built a really strong network over you know, a lot of the business being going a lot longer than I've been in it um, and I've joined it and, and, and building that on that so the network and the, and the relationship is is more important than anything else um, and, and just keeping touch with people and teams that we've worked with in the past and you know, being there for them when, when the opportunity arises for them to, to want and need some help. Um, I think that, that's probably the, 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 the best way I can describe it. Um, no, absolutely. Help. Yeah, just, it just um, I mean, I'm just listening to this podcast now for myself, really, and, and one thing's clear, Al, is, is your, your, your perception or your take on it on project and delivery and, and, and business organization culture is, is one around people and self-discovery and awareness. And it's probably a different uh, take for a lot of people listening who think that project management or PMO or program delivery uh, is all about the scope and the technical 
the, the technical piece and the outcome, which, which really point, um, point and take them is that my, my observation is very much aligned to yours out where, you know, you, you don't have a project unless you have people that are willing to, and the will and the drive to complete those outcomes. And so, so developing them actually become a, a kind of an intangible, but a very valuable way of, of, um, of getting the project done. Mm. Um, one of the things I think a lot of, particularly, and this is just an observation, it's not a statistic, uh, is around how people deal with challenge. Obviously this is one of your fortes. So I'm hoping for some inspiration <laughs> here, particularly for young people who, whilst they do, like you said, uh, they do know what they want and they're a bit clear about what they want in their environment. Uh, one thing I've, I've noticed is, is the ability to uh, stand up to challenge and, uh, and have that resilience in terms of uh, that's that soft skill of resilience. And what I mean is, is the ability to um, be defeated and then try again and again and again. And um, is there a way to kind of inspire people to um, keep pushing is, is what I'm trying to say. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just just wanted to come back on something you said at the start of that, which was about the sort of the, the technical scope and the delivery. And I think yeah, that that absolutely is critical in, in project and in program delivery. Um, and I you know, don't want to think that it's it's all about um, the soft skills. The soft skills, for one better word, and I kind of don't like that term. Um, but but the, the the skills we've been talking about are, are very much enablers then to allow those other things to happen. And you do absolutely have to deliver on the project. Um, so the business outcomes or the or the or the beneficial outcomes are are absolutely the the, the focus. Um, how do you respond and, and remain resilient to challenge? I think is a is an interesting question. I think there's an element of of recognition and reward for uh, the journey as much as the destination. Um, so yeah some, clearly someone who, who, who fails every single time um you, know, you, you can't let carry on but there has to be a, a way of, of recognizing that the skills and and the, and the approach that that person is taking and, and there is an element of of, of of to some extent brutal honesty here where if people aren't in the right roles and the right environments then then they need to move on and find something mm. that is right for them and that's why we talk about fit um you know the, the wrong fit for that particular team doesn't it doesn't mean you know it could be the perfect fit somewhere else um, yeah and i yep. think that has to be a, a, a good leaders also be able to have those really you know challenging and honest and difficult but supportive conversations as well um so you know how do you support challenge um re recognizing the small wins the, the tactical successes um recognizing where where things don't work um and i don't, don't want to use the word fail either because i don't that, that has a very negative connotation there should should be nothing wrong culture and behavior with saying that, that I, you know, I failed on something but it has yeah. such negative connotations in our in our society and our business cultures that we, we shy away from it and i think that that is something that i think you know should change over time but i think re rewarding all the rewarding the effort and the journey and 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 rewarding the small successes Wow, what a, what a great answer! Um, I so I picked up a couple words there: journey and destination. I, yeah. I, and none of us are at our destination yet. You know, we're continuing on our journey. But if I if I may, Al, um, and as we as we wrap up here, because I think we've put mm. you through the mill here. You've done very well. <laughs> like I say, good solid forward defensive. You know, you can go into go into yeah, bat, yeah, bat, yeah. bat for England in the next Ashes. Um, but if you had to do it all over again. Mm. and you knew what you knew today would you choose a different career path and why no 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 not at all no wow. um uh and, and i'll probably a very rapid answer to that question um probably because that's what i thought about over over time in a, long, in a lot of different ways i think because because it wouldn't have got me to where i am today um and not say that the different path would have got me somewhere i wouldn't have been happy with but at the end of the day i, I i'm here today because of all the, the combination of all those experiences and um you know did i make some um you know should i turn left when i when i turned right over time perhaps in a couple of areas um but i don't re regret the sort of the collective journey at all that's a very straightforward answer for me well you can't you can't well be done. more more direct than that well look i'll like i say i i think we've put you through the mill there uh, um and um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. yeah no it's been a pleasure for us to have you on the show um yeah I thanks think Al. 
your candid um, responses, your transparency comes through. And, and I think um, it, certainly I will replay this podcast over and over just to pick up some of the, the especially the triangles. But um, yeah, amongst the yeah. triangles, there's some really, right. really, <laughs> yeah, there's some really good advice there. And, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will also replay um, and, and actually take notes from this podcast. Um, I, I think it was that good. Um, so, like I say, fr from my side, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, I, I think it was an amazing one. Um, Val, any, any final words there for Al? Yeah, Al, thanks. As usual, uh, inspiring and, and perceptive. Um, and obviously, uh, if you wanted to give a free plug um, on where people could find more information about who you are and where you are and, and what you guys are doing, because I think it's really valuable uh, to businesses to have consultancies who, from from my perspective, seem to... One, they're not they're not pushing themselves as hard as the others, but also um, they genuinely care about the outcome and, and the people. So, if you've got anything there you wanted to say, yeah, no, thank you, uh, thank you, and, and thank you both. I, I've enjoyed the uh, the challenge, as you say. Um, so, yeah, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn uh, or www.advanced-consultancy.com. Fantastic. Brilliant. So, there you go. You you have it. You have full access to El Simonite and the Advanced Consultancy. If you're listening to this. Um, as always, Al, we would love to have you back for part two, part three, part four, um, in, in whenever you're ready and, and, and bring along the, the, the good folk that you work with as well. We'd love to get perspective, uh, from them too. Um, and I guess from us, from Val and myself, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you can go to, uh, projectchatter.com. Is that right? Did I get that right? Project Chatter Podcast. Project Chatter Podcast. Yeah, yep. we mentioned on the last one that it's a brand new site. We've been working on it for a little while, but um, it's taking us a, a little bit to, to remember. A bit of a mouthful, but quite memorable. Um, so go there. Um, have a look at some of our previous podcasts. Listen to this one. Uh, we've got some blogs there as well that you can comment on and feedback. Um, but for now, that's a wrap. We say thank you very much and goodbye to Alsom Knight. And thank you all for listening. Goodbye.